Are you guys enjoying the, cl- the Are you guys enjoying this? Yes. The book, the series. Yeah. It's good, isn't it? <laughs> you, you were until this week, right? You were up until now. I, yeah. Nice to see you, Mike. God bless you. Um. So this week's lesson, I know we, a lot of you guys had a chance to read it, but we're talking about risk, and to risk is right. Better to lose your life than to waste it. We're going to be going over some examples, but as we go through this first couple pages, I want you guys to each be thinking, because I don't want this to be me talking the whole time, I want you to be thinking about um, what it is, maybe a time in your life where God, you know, some of you men who've been around for a while and served the Lord, a time when God has maybe called you to step out in faith in something that was made you uncomfortable, but when you did and took a risk for God, that God came through and it came out right. So I may, I may choose for a couple of you, if you've got a good story or something that God's done, you know, just kind of have that in the back of your mind, and uh, we'll all work on this together. Um, chapter 5, going back a chapter, I apologize I wasn't able to make it here last week, but uh, made a statement at the beginning that said, pain and suffering is not the result of magnifying Jesus, it is the means. So basically, to, to rephrase that, because when I first read that, I was, had to think about it for a second, but pain and suffering is not something that happens because we, it, it's not something that happens um, because we're trying to magnify God, but when we're serving God and we're going through pain and suffering, that is the way in which God is magnified. Jesus magnified the Father through his pain and suffering and being obedient to the cross. Am I right? So we as Christ's servants, when we follow him, any kind of suffering or pain that we endure for the sake of that cause falls into that same category. It's not a waste. It's something that God can be glorified through when we're doing it for the right reason, for the right motivation, and as, a, as, a, as, a, um, as our process of following Christ. So God has not called us as Christians to live comfortable lives free of risk, but to take risk in following him. And I thought a lot about risk and, and, and comfort and safety a lot when I was preparing this message. And I thought, you know, we really, uh, one of my previous jobs, I worked in the, in the safety department, okay? And basically what that meant was anybody in the plant that thought that something was unsafe, they would contact me and say, hey, this is unsafe. And I would look into it and find out if it was something that was legitimately not safe. And we've kind of created in our culture a culture of safety, a culture of, uh, of protection, a culture of, you know, our cars have got more airbags when you crash them. I mean, it's like a big marshmallow puffball so that nobody ever gets hurt. Now, I'm not against safety. I'm not against protecting lives. But I think there's something to be said for, for um, you know, in our lives as, as believers in that it's not always going to be something that, that's going to be comfortable and make us feel good. And there's not always going to be that sure-footed thing of taking that next step in Christ that you're going to know that it's going to land in the right spot until you take that next step. And so there is, um, out of, by, by default, there's risk in life. When you take risk, and the, the, the book gave an awesome, um, I might actually borrow a copy of that because I can look it up on my phone, but it might take me a minute. Can I borrow that? Yeah. Okay. Um, that, that risk is right. Now, they described and defined risk as an action that exposes you to the possibility of loss or injury. Do we have any insurance agents in here? Is anybody in here an insurance agent? No? You know, we buy insurance to protect ourselves from the potential loss, loss or risk of anything. And you can buy insurance for just about, just about anything, I would imagine. You know, if I want to buy a policy and I'm willing to pay monthly, they'll sell me a policy that will cover me if something completely off the wall happens. And um, the more litigious our societies become, the more that we're trying to protect ourselves from these potential risks. Now, here's a, a, a big idea that, they, that he brought out in this chapter. And I'm just going to, I kind of paraphrased or typed out what, the, what he said here. And I'll, I'm just going to read it. It says, this is a big idea. Security and even safety does not exist in the human experience because there are too many unknown variables. The myth of safety, because we are not, because we are not God, we cannot know the outcome of things before they happen. This means that everyone takes risks, Period. So it doesn't matter how hard we try, we get up in the morning in a padded bubble and walk ourselves over to eat breakfast and then walk ourselves back. It doesn't matter how hard we try 
to eliminate risk in our lives, being a human being and being alive, there is inherent risk, period. We, we, and I think to keep ourselves sane, we assume that, well, you know, we kind of created this, you know, a, a reality around ourselves that basically we're, we're going to be okay, we're going to drive here and go there and do these things, but honestly, some maniac could be driving through the parking lot now, crash through these windows, and, you know, how many of you have seen the videos of people who drive through the drive parking lot, smash into the convenience store or something like that? There's nothing to say that that's not going to happen the next 30 seconds. Absolutely no, no, nothing, and there's nothing I can do about it. So just being alive is a risk. And we could sit around all day and focus on, oh my gosh, it's so risky being alive. What are we going to do? But you know what? God hasn't called us to live in fear. He's called us to live by faith. He's called us to walk and take steps of faith and take steps of risk for his kingdom. Now, I'll, I'll say this too. Just because you take a risk doesn't mean it's, a, doesn't mean it's something that God's called you to do. Okay. Let's say, for example, we were, we were going to be unwise and we say, all right, you know, I'm going to go out there and the Bible says that we've got to win, you know, go win the lost. So I'm going to go from here and I'm going to walk through, I'm, I'm going to win the lost and there's, let's pick a country somewhere. Just say we're going to go out there and do it. I'm not going to prepare. I'm not going to get ready for it. I'm just going to get on. I'm going to go. I'm going to jump on a boat. And I'm going to paddle my way to wherever those people are that don't know the Lord and I'm going to tell them about the Lord. Now, you've put yourself in a lot of risk for no reason. And some of that is just wisdom. We need to know, have wisdom. Not, and, and, you know, it's not God's will for you to put yourself in unnecessary risk just for the sake of putting yourself in risk. However, if God has called you to take a step of faith and, and there's risk involved, he will protect you. He'll provide for you. So the case in point of this about uh, safety and risk, has anybody ever here, I know a number of us have, been on mission trips to other places anywhere now, how many of you, when you've ever gone there and you've shared with your friends, whether sometimes believers or non-believers, they've said, you know what, I'm going to wherever. I'm going to India or I'm going to, you know, wherever. And what's one of the first things you'll hear, hear from people? Oh, it's not safe there. It's not safe there. Yeah. Anybody else has ever heard that? Oh, you, are you sure you want to go there? It's, have you heard that? The, the premise is that it's safe here. I mean, look what, goes, what just happened recently in Texas. They walked in and started, from what I understand, I haven't followed the news closely, but I think they walked in and started shooting people. Am I right? Okay. There's risk in being alive, period. Here, there, anywhere you go. There's risk in getting on a plane and going to another country. Now, so um, we kind of have calculated a certain number of risks that we take in our life and say, okay, these are risks that I'm willing to take, and we don't really think about them. We just take them. You know, but when God calls us to step out of our comfort zone, then... He wants us, he wants to basically prove himself to us, help prove that he is faithful. We're going to talk about how people in the Bible took risks. And there's a number of examples that risk is woven into the fabric of our lives. And it's something that we must, we do whether we want to or not, we take risks in life. So we're going to explode the myth of safety. And I kind of tried to, be, tried to do that a little bit. Some biblical examples of how you know, uh, of people who, of men of faith who've tried to pop these bubbles of security. I, I think of Joshua, it, who tried to encourage the people of Israel after they went into the promised land. And they said, hey, yep, there's giants there, but guess what? God is bigger, and God is stronger, and he can take us there, and he will lead us. Instead of the, the, the ten spies that said, oh, man, these people are giants, you know, they saw the same thing. But they were willing in God to take a risk and say, we can do it. God can, God can lead us, and we will take the, the steps. And um, there's another, another example is in Second Samuel chapter 10. Joab, if you guys want to turn there, we're going to look at this story a little bit. I may have somebody read it. The Amalekites had shamed messengers sent from the Israelites. And Joab's the leader of the armies, and he had the, Am the Ammonites on one side, and he had um, the Syrians, thank you, on the other side. So what did he do? He divided up, we'll start in verse 9. If somebody wants to read verse 9 
through fifth through fourteen. Now from the King James, when Joab saw that the uh, the front of the battle was against him before and behind, he chose all he chose of all the choices men of Israel and put them in array uh, against the Assyrians. And the rest of the people he delivered into the hand of Abishah, his brother, that he might put them in array against the children of the Ammon. And he said, If the Syrians be too strong for me, then thou shalt help me. But if the children of Ammon be too strong for thee, then I will come and help thee. Be of good courage, and let us play the play the men of our for our people and for the cities of our God and the Lord do that which seems good uh, to him and Joab drew nigh and the, the people that were with him unto the battle against the Syrians and they fled before him and when the children of Ammon saw the Syrians were, were fled then fled they also against Abishai and entered into the city. So Joab returned from the with, from the children of Ammon and from the and came to Jerusalem. So they were being surrounded. The people of Israel, to kind of recap quickly, the people of Israel were being surrounded on two fronts, and they were fighting. So they divided their troops up in two, and they said, "All right, let's fight on either side. And if you guys start getting defeated, we'll come help you. And if you guys start getting defeated, you'll come help us." Now, did they know ahead of time that they were they were going to win? No? But what did they do? They took a risk, right? And was that, was that a godly thing to do for them to take a risk? Or should they have just said, oh, God, protect us. We're just going to sit here. They needed to take a step. Faith requires action. And if we're going to be people of faith, then we have to be people of action. That when God speaks to us or an enemy comes against us, that we take action against it. I'll, get, let's, I'll take a, a, a common modern-day example. There's, um, our, in, our, in our land, there's a, there's a massive attack against our generation. One of the ways that attack comes, and there's many, but let's just take the issue of abortion. It's wiped out almost an entire generation since it's, since it's beginning to its end. Is that not an enemy that's come against our generation, against the people of God, and those that are not a people of God as well? And so do we as people, we as believers... We have an opportunity and an obligation, I believe, to take a stand in whatever way we can against these evils and say, this is not right. You know, this is wrong and it's something that God doesn't, it would not stand for. And take a risk in standing against what, call, what the law says is okay and say, this is not moral, it's not right. Is there a risk involved in that? Some, not much. I mean, we, we live in a free country and we have the right to our own opinion. But, you know, when we, can, we as men especially can take a stand against those things in the church there's, it's, it's amazing, I think, what we can do. And I still believe that in my lifetime, I would believe for the day that I will see when abortion will be illegalized in America. Amen? Amen. I believe it. That's faith. We have to believe that the, things, the way things are is not the way things will be. You know, and step out in faith. Say, God, by, by faith and through prayer and through, through taking action when we can, that this law that's ungodly will be abolished in our land. Wouldn't that be a great day to wake up someday when abortion is illegal in our land? Wouldn't that be a wonderful day? When the next generation is allowed to survive? Another example, Queen Esther. Now, we're not going to turn there, but if you know the story of Queen Esther, she risked her, her life literally to save the entire nation of the Jewish people. She went in before the king's presence, and in those days, they, you were not allowed to come before the king unless you were, you were summoned by the king to come. If you went into the king's courts without a summons, they had people standing at the gate. You walk in, they had these big long sticks from what I'm told. They'd run you right through and stick you to the wall. That was the law. If you walked into the king's presence without being invited, that's what you got. Unless he held out his scepter and said, it's okay, you can come. Now, Esther took a huge risk. You know, and Mordecai, her, her, it was her uncle, I believe, told her, said, you know, you know, she's, what did she say? If I die, I die. And he told her, he said, God has put you in this position for such a time as this when she can save the entire nation of Israel from extermination. And she, she stood up. 
She, she was bold, she was courageous, and she saved the entire nation of Israel. Not only that, but Haman, the wicked man Haman, was able to be hung on the own gallows that he had prepared for the people of God. So just like that, they became what I, I've heard somebody use the term, I love this term, the hinge of history, where history starts here and just switches, flop, just turns a page. And Esther was the hinge of history where God turns things from one, one, one outcome to a completely different outcome. But it takes courage and it takes strength and it takes action. You know, so I would encourage you guys to think about maybe there's something that God stirred in your, stirred in your heart and said, this isn't right or this is, this, is not, uh, this is not something moral in my society and there's something that I can do, do something about or speak about. And I would encourage you guys to do that. And let's be the men of God that stand up in our generation. It may not be popular, but speak righteousness and speak truth. That's one thing I love about Dave. He's, always, he's, he's a man of the word and he's talking, you know, he's got the word in his heart and he's, you know, speaking the word and, um, in his daily life and just his normal run-of-the-mill life, what he does. We're going to use another, go, to, go to another example out of the Old Testament. We have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or if you have kids and, and watch Veggie Tales, it's Rakshak and Benny. <laughs> and they, um, there were three, three Hebrew boys that were in a foreign land, not by their own choice, but by, because they were in Babylonian exile. They were in a foreign land. They had learned a foreign tongue. They were men of, of, they were men of intelligence and wisdom, and they were leaders to some degree, even in, in Babylon. But when King Nebuchadnezzar sets up an idol to himself and says, you're going to bow down to this idol when the music plays or you're going to be dead. It's a pretty clear rule, right? Um, the, you know, so what happens? The music plays, they play all the music, and the whole nation bows down, except for these three guys. They're standing there like, yep, not going to do it. I, I was thinking about this. Think about it for a minute, Okay. Let's say that we filled the Colosseum. This will be a small scale compared to probably what happened on that day. Let's say we filled the Colosseum to its rafters with people from Fort Wayne. And they all said, all right, guys, we're gonna, everybody here, we're going to bow down to this whatever idol. On the count of three, everybody bows down. If you don't bow down, you're dead. And we've got guards here with guns that are going to shoot you. One, two, three, bow. Think about it. I don't know that they were standing next to each other. We're not told. Maybe they were, one was over here. One was, maybe they didn't see each other. We're not, I mean, we're, these are the details we're not told, but you know what? Each of them had the courage to stand there and say, I will not bow. You know, and I think sometimes in, in, in our own walks with God or even in, in our own culture, we get comfortable with the things of this world and the things of our culture that are, that are not godly. And we don't really bow down to them, but we kind of maybe curtsy just a little bit. You know, we just kind of, just kind of, we don't really have to bow. We're just going to, you know, cough or tie my shoe, you know, maybe make it look like we're still part of the in crowd. You know, when, when people are telling dirty jokes at work or maybe, you know, some, something comes up politically at, at work instead of taking a stand about an issue where it's not politics, it's morals. You know, are we silent or do we speak the truth? You know, and it's something that God wants us to be men of courage and say, you know what, I might not be popular, so what? Jesus wasn't popular. He was popular some days and some days they wanted to kill him. So, you know, in Acts 22... Another example where um, Paul going into Jerusalem after Agabus' warning. You guys know the story I'm talking about with Paul? Paul's in a mission, on his missionary journeys and the prophet Agabus who had accurately prophesied that there would be famine. If you read kind of carefully through Acts, it talks about how Agabus had given a prophecy that there would be famine and they took up offerings to kind of help the church during that time. So this is Agabus is not just this fly-by-night prophet that kind of comes along and says something. His words have, been, have come true, and they're, they're tested. If you're there, go ahead and, because um, I'm not there yet because I'm busy talking. Acts 19.21. Okay, I apologize. I think I have the wrong reference down there. If somebody else has it. Okay. Um, After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to 
passage through Macedonia and Achaia. After I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia no longer. Okay, Acts 21, 10. Yeah, I think it was. Um, yeah, I apologize. I gave you the wrong reference. Acts twenty one ten is where it's at. While they were staying there for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When they heard this, we and the people urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. And Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be appeased, we ceased and said, Let it be the will of, we'll let the will of the Lord be done. So was it the will of the Lord for Paul to go to Jerusalem? I mean, some people would take Agabus's word and say Agabus's prophecy and say, All right, there's a clear sign we are not supposed to go to Jerusalem. Am I right? I mean, some would take that and say, The Lord's telling us we shouldn't go there. But was that God's will? It was God's will for him to go. Um, early on, um, I uh, took a missions trip once to Mexico, and we had the opportunity to, to preach the gospel in um, some areas that were fairly unreached. There wasn't a lot of, a lot of it was up in the Michoacan Mountains, and the missionary that we worked with, uh, Mike McGee, was trying to reach into the, some of these groups, and and myself and a, a group of other young guys, you know, put backpacks on, went to, took a train, took a bus, took a plane, got all the way up into the mountains, took a pack mule. Once we got there, they did know a man. There was one contact that we had. It was this man and his family that lived up in the mountains. And the last people that went up into the area where we were, we were intending to go, I met the widow, I met two widows of the men, of, of two wives of the previous men who went into this area to try to preach the gospel. They were killed. Now, um, I think the reason why the military uses young men is because they don't always think with their head, and they don't, not, they don't think things through. So we went there, and we stayed with this family, and while, when we were there, and we you know, were kind of learning the story, we had heard that it was a new area, and we knew it was dangerous, but we are like, what the heck, we're young, what are we going to do, you know, Let's stay home? So we went there, and um, while we were stay, stayed the night on the porch of this man's house, and while we were sleeping, the, the missionary we went with had a dream, now, we had taken a pack mule across the river into this village or whatever. They had a dream that we, were, that we weren't supposed to go up there and that God had directed us a different way. The day before, on our path on the way to the, on the truck on the way out to this, this, this man's house where we stayed, we ran into a guy who was familiar with a couple of other villages out there that we, hadn't, that we know of nobody had gone to. And he says, oh, yeah, there's a village over here and there's a village over there. So we talked to him a little bit and they said, hey, will you take us there? He said, sure. So instead, you know, the missionary felt directed to the Lord. Instead of going to this place, we went to two other small villages. Um, the names of the villages were Lalabor and Kofradia. The, the translation is the labor and the other one, Kofradia. I'm not sure what that means. You can look it up in your Spanish lexicons if you got one. But um, we went to these different places. We preached the gospel and ministered. Uh, it, was, it was very interesting. But you know what? There was risk involved. You know, we drove by places on the way to the mountains, and there's a brand-new pickup truck out there, and I'm thinking, I wonder what kind of cash crop they're growing to be able to afford a brand new pickup truck and a truck full of white guys just rolled into town. I mean, you stick out like a sore thumb when you're the only white guy out in the middle of the Michoacan Mountains in Mexico. So you think, you know, you start thinking, well, maybe this isn't exactly the safest place to be because we weren't, I mean, we didn't say we were law enforcement, but who knows, you know? And, you know, it turned out just fine. God protected us. He led us. But you know what? It was great. It was a wonderful trip. And had I really thought about it before I went, I probably would have been like, I'm not doing that. I'm going to stay here. I could die. Those people are dead. But I didn't. I, we took a risk and we went. You know, God wants us to have that certain level of faith where if he's calling you to go do something, you're going to get it done. And if you die doing it, well, that was God's will for you to, for you to die. I think so many times we, we hold on to the things that we know, the things that we can touch, the things that we can feel, instead of letting go and saying, you know what, God? I've only got one life anyway. You know, I've got an eternity 
in heaven. You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes, maybe this is a little bit morbid of me, but I, does anybody else like me get a little bit jealous of people who've gone before and gone to heaven? Does anybody get jealous? I'm not, maybe, I'm, maybe I need psych, psychiatric help, but I, I mean, that's, no comments, please. <laughs> but sometimes I get a little jealous because I'm like, you know what? They can see now what we see by faith. They know now the effort and the, the things that we do now by faith. They see fully, or at least partially, I think, what the results of those labors are. The, the, the little things that, that happen. You know, someone said one, one time, they said that when we walk through life, we step on cords that echo through eternity. You know, the things that we do as men and as people of God, when we walk out in faith, they can have repercussions that could go literally forever. I mean, you don't know that the one person you lead to Christ in your life won't be the next Billy Graham. You know, you may, you may walk and preach and, and, and just walk for the Lord your whole life and not see much what you call fruit. But, you know, case in point, there was, um, when I was in high school, I was always inviting people to come to church and talking to people about the Lord whatever I, to whatever degree I could. And 99.9% um, .9 of the time, nobody came. That's just the way it was. Um, years later, I was, um, somebody came into my dad's business, and I don't even know the guy's name. I think my dad told me his name, and I still didn't remember his name. But he said, you know, your son used to invite me to church and he said that, that I wasn't a believer now and I don't think I ever went with him. But, you know, over the years now, I'm a believer. I've I given my life over to Christ and I'm following him. And just the little seeds, the little things that we plant, we may never see the results. Um, Hebrews, the, the, the faith chapter in Hebrews is one of my favorite chapters of all the Bible. Because the, the end of it, and I'm getting off track a little bit, but I think that this is, this is important to see. Like this is when we say talk about taking risks. You know, we need to not just look at the risk that we take in life, but let's start looking at the reward that we'll have on the other side. At the very end of the Hebrews, Yep, Hebrews chapter 11, chapter, verse 39. It says, all of these, having gone through a whole litany list of people in the Bible who walked and lived their lives by faith, it says, and all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us they would not be made perfect. In other words, all of those examples that we have of faith in the Bible None of those people received the fullness of what God had promised them or the things that they believed God for. None of them did. Even those that routed foreign armies and put, you know, put in foreign armies to flight, saw their widows raised back from dead, none of them saw the fullness of it. It said, because together with us, they would, be not, they would not be made perfect apart from us, meaning the New Testament believers, what Christ has done. There's a fullness now of what God's plan for salvation is that we can see a little bit more than what they could in the Old Testament because we know now that Christ came and he you know, provided a way for us to be um, you know, made, made new. But I think that those people, they could see now the results of their faith that we're reading about them in the Bible. They, they didn't have any, had any idea at the time. So taking risk is a part of what God calls us to, um, to follow him, and it sometimes defies our logic. I think logic sometimes is the opposite of faith because, you know, many times when we do something for, in faith, it doesn't always make sense. It's not always logical. When you think it out in the math sense, it doesn't make sense. Um, example is given to us of what the early church looked like in the fourth century. And uh, Julian stated of the church, now Julian was a, an emperor, ruler at the time of Rome, he said that atheism, and when he says atheism in this sentence, he's referring to the Christian faith, has been especially advanced through loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. It is a scandal that not a single Jew who, has, who is a beggar and that the godless Galileans care not only for their own poor but for ours as well, while those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. Now the translation of that is, these Christians do a better job at taking care of their own people and others than what the state does. What a great opportunity as the government gets more involved in people's lives and the more, more involved in like caring for people, that does the church have the opportunity to step in and show 
what real love, what real um, care is for other people who are in need. You know, and I don't know what's going to happen in the future with the health care system and all that. I don't really know. No, none of us really do. But, you know, we may have an opportunity to, to really minister to people and show them the difference between what the government can do in trying to help people and what God's people can do in really showing love and compassion for those that are hurting. Along that line, I was talking with a couple social workers in the trustee's office a few years ago, and you know, their comment was that they really appreciate the efforts that the church puts in touching lives of people out in the community because they are so overwhelmed that people just become a number out of necessity and they can't put that personal touch or they can't say anything about God or, you know it's just you know you have this need we have this resource maybe it'll meet the need maybe it don't where churches are stepping in and, and it's beyond you know it's not let's not fix the emergency only but what got you here how can we come alongside how can we love on you and how can we share our faith with you? And they say the church does just an amazing, better job than um, you know than the social workers can do. I mean, it's just right. by the nature of the thing. You know, many of Jesus' miracles it says that he was mo- moved with compassion, and I think that's what separates um, a non-believer's care for someone's needs from what a believer is. They have compassion, and we're supposed to be people who are compassionate and care for the needs of others. And, um, you know, it's very clear the Bible says they'll know that we're believers by our love. And a lot of times to really love someone means taking a risk. You know, and if we're going to be, you know, so tied to our comfort that we we don't um, take risks. You know, I I thought about this a little bit, you know, and, you know, bring it back down to kind of a personal level. Like, what about us? You know, what if we risk lately for the cause of Christ? You know, to step out in faith and pray for someone who's sick? You know, you see somebody at the office that's not feeling well or you have a customer come in that's, you know, having a rough time. You do you take a minute and pray for them. And, you know, to be honest with you guys, the results, we pray for the sick, the results aren't your, it's not your problem. The results are up to the Lord. You know, I've talked to people, ministries and missionaries who've seen people, you know, who are sick get restored. And I've seen, the, you know, same ones who've seen the dead raised. And you know what they've said? They said, you know what, we pray for thousands and we see hundreds healed. You know, we've, we've prayed for dozens of people who are dead, and we've seen a handful come from back to life. I think that part of the reason we don't see more, more of that stuff, well, why don't we see more of it? Are we praying for him? Are we believing God at his word? You know, I mean, I don't know that we have much opportunity in our culture to, to literally pray for the, those that have passed away. But, um, you know, we're never going to see it if we don't pray, right? And... Um, you know, I've heard some amazing stories from people that are alive today and, and, and missionaries, and not just missionaries, but pastors around the world. They've had seen people resurrected, and, and um, in one case, they weren't really praying for the person to get, come back from the dead. They were just kind of complaining to the Lord, why did this person have to die? What happened? You know, they, and this, in this case, this person committed suicide. And um, they, had, they had overdosed on some pills, and they'd been dead for hours. They found them hours later and um, got them into the morgue and, you know, went in and, they, they went in there, their pastor asked for permission to go in, and, and, uh, and it was a pastor's son, and, and, you know, not really pray for him necessarily, but just be there, and was just kind of crying out to the Lord, why did you let this happen? What's going on? And, and the person just popped up, and the, other, the nurse that was in the room just took off running. <laughs> I'm out of here. But, you know, there, there, were, there was risk involved, you know? And I think if we want to see, you know, Christ do amazing, how many want to see God do amazing, awesome things, right? I do. But you know what? It takes failure sometimes. It takes praying and nothing happening. A great example of not raising a person from the dead, but just today we were talking in a staff meeting. Uh, Caleb, Pastor Ron's son, um, was coming back with his vehicle, pulling a trailer, and his vehicle breaks down. And they go through all these gyrations. They're they're down in... in, here and there. And so they call AAA and everything and they get their their vehicle fixed and uh, so they're, they're over there in Springfield. And so they get in now and start heading back again and they come across a van that's broke down along the side of the road and it's a uh, youth program of somewhere they were going from one place to the other and 
their van is just dead. And Caleb just, you know, the Lord prompted him. He says, go pray over the, the van. And he, so he walked up to him. He says, hey, you know, I know this is going to sound odd, but I just feel God prompting me to pray for your van. Is that all right? And they're like, well, you know. What's it going to hurt? Okay. Right? <laughs> so he literally goes up, laid his hands on the van, prayed over it, saying, God, you know, you can fix all things. And he says, it's okay. So they go ahead and try it, and it fired right up. And uh, so Caleb went back to his, his van, or to his vehicle, and one of the teachers that was with this group of boys come over, just tears coming down his face. He said, you know, those young men needed to see people that have faith that God can do things and understand that God's real. And mm -hmm. thank you. And I mean, what a testimony. It's just amazing. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah, it, you know, and it's how many opportunities in my, in my life have I missed, you know, mm -hmm. where I didn't didn't pray or didn't stop and didn't didn't take the time to help somebody, yes. um, you know, saw somebody in need and didn't pray for them, and because I thought, well, they're probably not going to get healed if I pray for them, you know, it's it's it, that's the thing is it's not up to us, you know, there's risk involved, but really isn't it's not your godliness, you know, look what Paul said, Paul, you know, is there on their way to the, the temple, and they healed the beggar. He said, what are you looking at me for? It's not like my goodness or godliness raised this man and, and healed him. You know, it's not us. It's really not about us. You know, so whether they get healed or whether they don't get healed, it's never about you anyway. You might as well just pray in faith and let God do what he wants to do. Amen. You know, because I've seen people healed just like that. And I've also seen people stay sick. I, I don't know. It's not my choice. You know, if it was my choice, they'd all get healed. I mean, I've known people that were sick and not feeling well. Pray for people who are sick, and the people get sick. People get well. Go figure that one out. I mean, you know, it's it's there's no it's not science. You know, it's faith. So there's the paradox in in um, in Luke twenty one sixteen to nineteen. of something that Jesus says, and I think it's important to, to realize in the, in, the, in the thing of taking risk. You know, because sometimes you take a risk and it turns out well, and sometimes you take a risk and it doesn't. Luke 21, 16 to 19. And Jesus is talking here about, um, you know, some way, in some ways about the end time, but in future times, and it talks about nation rising against nation and kingdom against kingdom, earthquakes and famines. But reads, going to verse 16. Somebody read 16 to 19. Of Luke 21. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me. But not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, you will gain life. Did you catch the, the funny thing that's said in there? They're going to kill you, but not a hair of your head will perish. That's what Jesus said. I've read that verse a bunch of times, and then he pointed it out in this book, and I thought, I never really thought about it like that. They're going to kill you, but not of your hair of your head will perish. Ken, isn't it good to know that not a hair of your head will perish? Yeah. It's good to <laughs> But you know, I think that there's we're... A remnant, there's a remnant. There's always a remnant. That's right. <laughs> but you know, it's, it really... So what is Jesus talking about here? If he says they're going to put you to death, some of you they'll, they'll, they'll put into prison, but not a hair of your head will perish. Why could he say those two statements in the same phrase and be right? Right, he's not talking about eternal life. He said, if you, stand, if you stand firm, by your endurance, you will gain your lives. You know, I think so many times we, we hang on to this life so hard and thinking that we've got to keep it, you know, and yet Jesus says, you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. 
You know, it's such, it's, it, it like twerks our brains a little bit because everything around us is functioned around our safety and our, our us enduring and our surviving. And yet God says, just give it up. Don't worry about it. So, so what, are we, what life are we saving? Are we saving this temporal life or are we saving the eternal life? You know, I asked the question, you know, kind of at the beginning of this, like what does it really mean to store up treasure in heaven? You know, what is it, how do you do that? I mean, let's say, let's store up treasure in heaven. It's not like we can go to Walmart, grab all the electronics, and throw it in a savings deposit box somewhere in heaven. You know, how do we, so what does that look like? You know, and I literally think that some of this is what it looks like, walking by faith. You may do, do something out of, out of faith, because what pleases God? What's the one thing that pleases God? Faith. That's right. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. We may do something, step out in faith in this life, never see the result of it. But like I said, the echoes of that may save someone who saves someone who saves someone who next thing you know, those person's a missionary who reaches an entire nation. And I don't think God looks at it like, well, that guy just did one per- he just touched the one per- I don't think he looks at it like he's generous. You know, and he, I think we'll be rewarded for the little things that we do in faith. I think we, we step out in faith and trust God. I think we'll be amazed when we step in on the other side and say, look at what that accomplished. Look what happened when you did that little thing. Like the widow's might, exactly. She gave more than the rest of these people because she gave everything she had to live on. They gave out of their abundance. She gave everything she had. So what about us? Are we giving everything that we have to our families to make sure that they walk, to live and grow up in a, in a functional Christian home? You know, and I, I struggle with the, the pull of, well, that means providing them everything that they need financially, or that means providing them everything they need in sports, or that means providing every opportunity that they have and everything else that goes on. And, and um, you know, sometimes it's, it's a struggle. It's a fight. And, I, you know, I, the biggest thing I want my kids to walk away from when they leave my house is that, you know, my dad taught me how to believe. You know, and I don't know how I'm doing with that some days, but, you know, that's the biggest legacy that we can leave our kids. And for those of you who don't have kids, find some kids because there's parents out there that really need help. <laughs> to all the kids, parents of the young children out there. Um, but, you know, um, I, I put this in there that, well, I'm going to go, we'll go to page nine. We're going to jump ahead a little bit. Run out of time a little bit. Does anybody have anything that maybe they want to share? Because I talked earlier about somebody had a story they wanted to share, something they've done. I had a call Mike this week to ask something, and, and he, I'm not going to fill in any names. He knows that nobody else and stuff. And I called Mike to, for, uh, to ask him a question, and when I asked this question, I was sent to somebody else, and back and forth, two or three or four times, bounced around. Then this person called me back and needed prayer immediately that evening. And it was just the way that it went here and there and back and forth and then back again to me. The Lord had used all these steps to get to prayer for this person. Mm-hmm. I thought that was so fantastic. That's, that is it's amazing. You know, the, the care and concern that God has for individuals and the needs that we have. I think if we could see, um, if we could see the, God's heart for people, it, we would never be the same. Um, I had, uh, I don't share this a lot, but I, but I had, uh, when I went to, to Bible college, um, my first, my second set of Bible college experience was at a, at a church in Florida called Brownsville, where at the time there was a revival going on down there. And I saw a lot of things and experienced a lot of things that were really neat, and they, they really impacted my life in a, in a really dramatic way. But I think that even past that time and kind of processing and thinking about what what really does revival mean and what is at the core of revival? And I've studied history, historical revivals and different things that have happened. And, and I think it comes down to, to, to one, one of the one primary thing, and there's multiple aspects of it. But, you know, revival really happens when we get our minds and our hearts off of ourselves and our own needs. And where we begin to, to think about what the needs of, what, what are God's, what's on God's heart? more than what's on our hearts. What, what, not what I think and what I want, but what is God, what do you want? And what, what do you care about? You know, I know Josh says he prays it all the time, Lord, let the things that I care about, the things that you, be the things that you care about. 
You know, and one of those two desires has to change. And typically it's not God's. <laughs> so, and, um, you know, I think that's why when you see a move of God, a lot of times what comes out of them is missions movements. Because the heart of God is for the lost. You know, there's people around us driving goodbye that just don't know the Lord, and we, have, we see them every day. You know, and it's God's heart to reach them. You know, and I know I've lost more opportunities than I can count. Um, but, you know, it's just being in tune with that, those things and seeing that, you know, if God cares about this stuff, why don't I care about it? What am I so concerned about that is taking the place of that concern that God has for these things? And it's not hard. It takes, there's risk involved, you know, telling somebody you don't know about the Lord. Um, but you know what? If we don't risk it, we don't get the reward. And I'd rather pack my rewards up in, in that U-Haul than, than, in a, you know, than anything I could put my TV in. So, huh? In the fiery chariot, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, God really does supply, you know, all of our needs. When Paul, Paul goes through in 2 Corinthians and talks about how he's been tested and tried all these different ways. And you know what? Yet God supplies in every situation so that all times that having all that we need will, will abound in every good work. You know, both in our finances, but even in our, in our lives and in our hearts. Um. One, it says, on the far side of risk, even if it results in death, the love of God triumphs. It is the faith that frees us to risk for the cause of God. It's not heroism or lust for adventure or courageous self-reliance or efforts to earn God's favor. Now that sentence is compact, but it's important. It's a childlike faith in the triumphs of God's love that on the other side of all the risks for the sake of righteousness, God will still be holding us. We will be eternally satisfied in him, and nothing will have been wasted. You know, I read that verse, or that, that chapter, or that paragraph right there, and I was like, man, that's a, that's, a, that's a mouthful. You know, it's faith that frees us to risk for the cause of God. You know, like I said earlier, it's not risking for just the sake of something's dangerous, let's go do it. You know, but when God calls us to take risks and God calls us to step out in faith, um, when we're obedient, um, you know, it's not heroism or lust for adventure or courageous self-reliance, or, this is an important one, efforts to earn God's favor. You will never do something for God that will cause him to love you more than he already does. I think so many times I grew up in a, I grew up like Mike in a Catholic background, and it takes... I don't know how long does it take, Mike, to get, to get that I have to earn God's favor mindset out of your, out of your head. You know, you'll never, you'll never earn God's favor, period. And yet God calls us to walk in faith, not perfectly, but just in faith with him. In 2 Corinthians 4.17, it says these light and momentary afflictions, after it lists all these things that Paul went through, it said, they are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Isn't that exciting? All these light and momentary afflictions. You know, the little, the little things, you know, the little discomforts that we put ourselves through for the cause of Christ. Maybe it's, you know, if it's fasting or if it's praying instead of eating lunch or whatever it is. The little inconveniences that whether we put ourselves in or we are put in for the cause of Christ, none of those things will be wasted. Um, there's a teacher that I knew, um, and I'll... Uh, I'll close up with this story here, um, and then I'll open it up a little bit if somebody has something else they want to share. But um, there was a, a man I went to, to school with, or I should say went to school with just after me. His name was, was Joel Shrum, and uh, he was kind of a quiet guy, but he um, became a teacher of English and um, moved he and his family, and they had, I think, two small children um, to the country of Yemen in the, for the purposes of preaching the gospel and teaching English. He was there as officially as an English teacher because you can legally be there in Yemen as an English teacher, not as a preacher of the gospel. But he, by living his life and was, had gained relationships and had the opportunity to share people um, with the Lord, he was in a, in a truck one day and somebody in a motorcycle pulled up beside him and riddled the whole thing with bullets and shot him, killed him. And um, it, it, it just took off. Of course, in Yemen, you're, not gonna get, you're probably not going to get a fair trial and... They probably didn't even, you know, try to find the guy, but you know, it was said of him that he was—he had a—he was one of the greatest threats 
to Islam in Yemen. And he was one man teaching English. Young man, had young kids, his wife who lived there. And I think about, I thought about him in the, in the, you know, did he waste his life? You know, was it a waste this young man and his kids go to Yemen, teach English, you know, and slowly gain a few converts and, and, and win people to the Lord? Did he waste his life? You know, he's younger than I am, I think, when he got shot. And yeah, you know, I don't think he wasted it. I don't think he regretted it, you know. Um, and yet, you know, not all of us are going to get the opportunity to do that. Not all of us has God called us to do that, you know, yet. But you know what? We should be living lives of faith and taking risk for God. You know, if it means signing up for a missions trip just because God said, go do the Great Commission, go for it, guys. What's stopping you? You know, if God calls you on a missions trip and you, you can't afford it, and if God's called you for it, he'll pay for it. I had, I had prayed and fasted for a little once, when a, this was years ago, for a missions trip that I felt like the Lord called me to go to, and I didn't have the money. And um, the Lord spoke to my heart and said, you'll have more than enough. I said, all right. I all I have to worry about. I put the deposit down and didn't worry about it. The deadline came for having $1,000 for the trip, and I still had my deposit down. <laughs> and um, I think it was the next day or the day after, day before that, I ran into somebody who ran into somebody, and they asked me what I needed for the trip. And I said, ah, you know, I, I just need a, little, you know, I need a little more. I said, well, how much more do you, how much do you have? I said, they said, how much does the trip cost? I said, about $1,800. I said, how much do you have? I said, $100. You know, and then the next day, it wasn't this person that I ran into, but somebody else who, who I had given a support letter to. They came and said, you know, the Lord spoke to me, and I'm supposed to pay for the rest of his trip. They walked into the church and paid for the rest of the trip. And before I knew that, the same day, I, the, the lady who I ran into that I told her I need, what I needed, she walked up and handed me a check that night for $350. So the Lord answered, more than you have, more than enough. Within two days, I had the whole thing. And I'm not, God doesn't always do it that way. I'm not sure why he did it that way that time. But I'm just saying, if you guys want to do stuff for God, dude, just call on God. Say, God, provide the money. Don't let money stop you. He, you know, that we, we learned in the book earlier that, like, you know, serving God means having everything that we need to do what God wants us to do. We have unlimited resource to do what God wants us to do. Unlimited. We just got to tap into it. So, does anybody have anything else? Uh, yes. I don't know, probably you guys have heard this, but there's one of the pastors, his name is Saeed, and he went back to Iran. He's a U.S. pastor. He went over there, he got arrested about three years ago. And, you know, I guess today or yesterday, some of his family members went and visited him. They came back over here. And one of the things he said, he said, uh, I'm not afraid, but I, I pray and I ask you guys in the U.S. to pray for a revelation for these countries. Because he was arrested. He's threatening the, uh, whatever, the integrity of Iran. Because, you know, the majority over there are Muslims. Right. And they don't like that. But, I mean, you look at that, just similar to what you said, he just, you know, he took the risk. He knew it was a well-calculated risk, mm -hmm. but God put it on his heart to go. Yeah. Yep. This is one of, the, one of the earlier chapters where John Piper mentioned uh, John Bunyan. Yeah. The Pilgrim's Progress, yeah. he was talking about John Bunyan was in prison, and he, he would like to go home to help you know, be with his kids. Didn't he have a daughter that was blind? Isn't that, wasn't that the case he had a... But he couldn't, he couldn't leave, and he felt like I forgot one. I mean, John Bunyan was mentioning case situations where David fled, David also stood. Jesus fled, Jesus also stood. He said, neither one's necessarily wrong. It's just, it's kind of, you know, knowing where it is that God wants you to be. What's going to glorify God? Right. Yeah, you know, we're not supposed to take unnecessary risk unless God, you know, puts us there. But when God puts you there... He'll either come through or you'll have great reward on the other side, <laughs> right? And, um, you know, I just encourage this a lot of times. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to, to bring up, you know, how does this affect our daily lives is that, you know, when God calls you to do the little things, step out in the little ways, you know, are we doing it? You know, I know I've, I've missed great opportunities to share with the Lord things that God's laid on my heart. Hey, go talk to this person, and I didn't do it. You know, I don't know what happened. I don't know what could have been changed because I, if I would have stepped out in faith. And... Um, you know, you ask the Lord for another chance, and you don't always get one. And, uh, but, you know, God's faithful in all of it. And he doesn't call us to do things because he wants us to lord it over us. He wants us to do it out of relationship and out of faith.
And that last part that I, I read there is I think it's a really important, not out of heroism, but because we're his kids. And he loves us. He wants us to share his love with other people. And sometimes it's risky. So to risk is right. I know it's a very simple, you know, simple concept to grasp, I think, but it's sometimes a hard one to live in our in our culture and in our day. Does anybody else have anything, something they want to share? Or we can like a local one that um, inspires me and, and Ken and some of the others have, have met them is uh, Monty and Kim Brenneman. They are uh, a, a young family, uh, part of uh, Woodburn Missionary Church, that he had a contracting business and just felt God was saying, hey, when Katrina hit, you know, he needed to go and help in whatever way he could. So he uproots his whole family and they go down to, you know, the New Orleans area and Biloxi area and trusting in God. And his church then picked him up as a home missions missionary, but they stepped out in faith and now they've been at it for nine years or something like that mm-hmm. because they went from there. Now they're in Birmingham, Alabama working on mm-hmm. tornado disaster relief. And, you know, they never know for sure whether, you know, where their income is coming from, that type of thing. Right. But because they've stuck with it, and they've, I mean, they lived in, you know, two little rooms in an office building, you know, for a, a year or two, um, you know, but just trusting that God would provide their need, and, and he has amazingly. Yeah. But, you know, they took a big risk. And I can't tell you the hundreds and hundreds of lives that have been touched by them having ministry teams come down and, and repair homes and get to pray over and speak mm-hmm. into people's lives. So yeah. you just never know where God's going to take you. Yeah, it's like you talk to missionaries and talk to, you know, people around the around different places that have stepped out in faith. And, you know, some of you think, wow, that's a great story. They usually started with a step of faith that they had no cl- no concept of what the outcome was going to be. And they could have fallen on their face. Andy? I was going to say one of my... One of my biggest, strongest faith thing was remember Milton, and he used to go to the rescue mission, mm-hmm. and then and I used to say, Lord, I can't go to the rescue. Mission. I can't talk. I can't do nothing. And Milton always said, You, you got to put your faith in God. You got to put your faith. Andy, those guys are rough with that. And you know what? I remember about a year ago, I would, or two years even before he died, I went down there, and it was such a peace, and it was just a happen. And ever since then, every time I could get on the Thursday, Wednesday stuff, I prayed for myself. God has just revealed himself and showed himself. And you know what? It has made a big difference in my life and in their life. Mm-hmm. So I'm telling you, to step out in faith and God will do it. Yeah. But all you need to do is to die. Yes, you're going to be scared. And yes, those guys going to look ugly. But you know what? you got a greater God with you. Mm-hmm. So just step out and go for it. Yeah, I think one of the biggest um, hurdles we have to face is that we think that if we do something for God, we're not going to be afraid. We're not going to feel fear. <laughs> I think that's probably the opposite. I think the greater thing you jump out, you know, and take, the probably you're going to feel the fear. But when you step out in faith, and like we said, the results aren't up to you. You know, if you're, you're trusting God for whatever it is, the, the results aren't up to you. You know, they're really not. You know those um, the chords that you were talking about earlier, as you go through life, you step on those chords. When you step out in faith, you're, you're also stepping on those chords that, that continue out there. You know, those... What you're doing in faith, stepping out in faith, is a little part of what God's plan is. Mm-hmm. And, and if we miss that step, we miss, we're cutting that plan off. And it can continue forever. We, we um, adopted from China, and, and I, it's a long story I could go into it, but I have seen, um, you know, God told us to do it, and it has given just in so many different ways. And my son, what is to China? He now is going to be a missionary to China. He, he stepped off the plane and he knew that's where he was called to. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I've got another son that um, we adopted at a later time, uh, a son and a daughter. Um, and they started to, um, right after we adopted him, he was, he was 15, she was 10, and um, he started to abuse her. And there was, there was times where I, I looked at that and I'm like, God, you know, I know that you told us to do this. I can see all the you know, all the fruit that's come from this and leading to this, and, and I don't understand, you know, why, why did this happen, you know? And uh, he doesn't live with us anymore. He can't just because she's still in the house with us. And yet, um, a year later, he is, he's come, and um, 
has lived with his youth pastor, and he's he's learned, and he just preached at the um, the Fine Arts Festival, and he he preached on um, forgiveness, and he preached on um, you know learning um, that there are repercussions in this world for the things that you do, and um, he's going to nationals with um, you know what he preached and what he's doing, and he wants to be a youth pastor. So, I mean, it's just this chain of things, and if you don't step out and do what God wants you to do, you just, you're stopping that chain if you go on for yeah. forever. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Somebody want to close us in prayer? Or? I thank both and I would mean here. All the men understand we talk about Everything. I act. When they we come back, I act. Amen. Amen. Thank you, David. Thanks, Dave. Good job. 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 Good job.